name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, come down upon us. Guide our thoughts and our actions, that we may be on guard against those who would lead us astray, and to remain rooted in the true vine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome again. Thanks for tuning in. I'm David Kiblinger. I hope these exercises have been fruitful for you so far. Just a reminder that I'm praying for you. I pray that this be a time of renewal and of deepening your relationship with God. In the last exercise, we heard the call of Jesus Christ to come and labor with him in bringing about the kingdom of God. We want to be filled with enthusiasm for our call and great generosity in responding. We're continuing on in the second week of the spiritual exercises in this reflection, titled, I am the true vine, from John chapter 15, verse 1. I'm sure you know that this is Jesus speaking here and describing himself as a vine. But have you ever paused to consider why Jesus adds the word true? He's not only the vine, but he's the true vine. And if he's the true vine, well, there must be some false vines out there which are in competition with Jesus. This contrast between the true vine and false vines is the topic for this exercise. In the middle of the second week, St. Ignatius asks us to do a contemplation, which he called the two standards, using this word standard in the sense of a military flag. We may not totally understand this image today since we don't live in that same context as Ignatius did, but with a little imagination, we can understand what he means. Think of any depiction you've seen of a medieval battle. You normally have soldiers lined up in a formation along with flags dotting the skyline at regular intervals. These flags served a tactical purpose amid the chaos of battle. A soldier who's engaged in close quarter combat can get turned around, discombobulated, and have no idea where the rest of his regiment is. To get his bearings, he would scan the horizon until he found his side standard, and then he could move towards it. So whether this battle imagery connects with us or not, we can at least understand the purpose of this exercise. There are many different things in this life competing for our attention. They promise us life and fulfillment, and each has its own standard, its own way of attracting our attention. The trick is not everything actually leads us to life and fulfillment. Some are false vines. They indeed may sustain us for a little while, but at the base of it, they're illusions. We must sort through all the noise and orient ourselves to the banner of Christ, rooting ourselves in him as the true vine. St. Ignatius wants us to consider the character of Lucifer as the person who competes with Jesus for our, atten our attention and service. Ignatius has a very traditional image of Lucifer, this terrifying figure wrapped in fire and smoke. However, the name Lucifer literally means the light bearer. He doesn't impose on us through intimidation. He attracts us with glitz and glamour. If we're not careful to his tricks and deceits, we can unwittingly find ourselves slipping away in our service of the kingdom of God. 
The best way to resist slipping away is to be informed about the strategy of Lucifer. The first thing to know about this bearer of light is that he wants his action to remain hidden. Ignatius compares him to a young man sneaking around to meet with his girlfriend, but without her parents knowing. There was this brilliant commercial for an internet service, which is the perfect illustration of what Ignatius had in mind. A teenage boy sits outside a home in his car in the dark. He waits until he sees the silhouette of a man in a bedroom window disappear as the lights are turned off. So he gets out of his car and sneaks over a fence. He throws a piece of meat to the dog to keep it quiet and climbs up the trellis to a second floor window. He cracks it open and whispers, hey, to the teenage girl inside, who whispers back, hey. All the while, this 1960s doo-wop song is playing in the background. Suddenly, the music cuts out, the door creaks open, and Dad flips on the light. He deadpans, you must be Stephen's phone, and holds up a phone showing a list of devices connected to the home network. The boy and girl look sheepishly at one another, and the boy starts climbing back down away from the window. His plan was exposed, and whatever was going to take place was stopped immediately. The point is, once we recognize the presence of Lucifer, he loses any power he had over us. He sheepishly goes away, and we are free to orient ourselves to Christ and to serve the kingdom. Ignatius has a theory of how Lucifer plants his traps that goes like this. First, he tempts a person with the lure of riches. Riches then lead to honor. The rich not only like their material advantages, but they also like how other people pay attention to them. So finally, riches and honor lead to a self-absorbing pride. Rather than serving God and others, the rich desire to be served. Their time and attention are focused on themselves, on increasing their riches and honor. Thus, Lucifer has attached them to a false vine. There you have it. Pretty simple. Riches, honor, pride. These, according to Ignatius, are the strategies of the one who wants to draw us away from serving God. These ways can be very subtle, too. I'll give you an example from my own life. Admittedly, I'm not exactly at the forefront of fashion. My childhood was filled with hand-me-downs from older cousins. I never thought much about shoes or clothes until, I hate to admit this, I joined the Jesuits. Terrible, right? Well, living in community means sharing a lot of things. Other guys notice what you wear and are not afraid to comment. That's not to say that we're excessively preoccupied with things like this, but it's a fact of living daily life in community. Most of the comments are positive, like, nice watch, or where did you get those shoes? People notice almost immediately when you get some new item. In theory, our vow of poverty should make us spend less time buying clothes. However, the bearer of light can still wiggle his way in. Having a pretty limited budget, as you probably understand, makes it even more important to get the best deal possible. And getting the best deal possible takes time and research and ingenuity. 
If I'm not careful, I can spend hours comparing prices and reading reviews and surfing bargain websites. More times than I would like to admit, I have done this. I buy a pair of shoes which I think look really good, and my opinion is confirmed by the occasional compliments of my Jesuit brothers. I enjoy those, maybe a little too much. Next time, when I need a new pair of pants, I spend even more time doing my research. I might get even more comments. You see what's happening. The cycle of riches, honor, and pride is taking over. More and more time spent on myself, less and less time spent on others. For your prayer, you might want to spend a little time asking yourself, where are my riches, my honors, my pride? Are there any ways, big or little, which these are drawing me away from service of Christ? To be clear, we're not going back to the first week. The purpose of this exercise is not to seek reconciliation for our past. Rather, it's to gain insight into our own motivations and desires and to see how these things in the world affect them. Jesus Christ also has a strategy for attracting us. To attach us to the true vine, he draws us with poverty, contempt, and humility. These obviously are the exact opposite of riches, honor, and pride. Perhaps you can see now why St. Ignatius uses the character of Lucifer, the bearer of light. Riches, honor, and pride, those are attractive to us. Poverty, contempt, and humility? Not so much. Who wants those? It makes sense how we can get confused and a little bit disoriented in life. I do believe, though, that St. Ignatius is right. Poverty, contempt, and humility root us in the true vine. Here's another example. Some of you may know that Jesuits do a pilgrimage experience at the beginning of our formation where we're given a bus ticket, a couple changes of clothes, and we have to beg our way across the country for a few weeks. It's an experience that stretches you, to say the least. One of the hardest things for me was to be sitting on a Greyhound bus at the beginning of a 24-hour ride, knowing that I had to ask someone next to me for help. I tried my best to overcome my pride and to strike up a conversation. The first person I spoke with introduced himself by saying, my friends call me Simple. Now, Simple was a character. He was holding this two liter of Mountain Dew in one hand and a family-sized bag of Doritos in the other, which he just absolutely demolished during the first hour of the trip. We didn't exactly have a spiritual conversation. He was mostly interested in hearing about my martial arts training as part of the Jesuits. I don't think we get martial arts training, but 10 years after this conversation, I still wonder if it's just around the corner. While he said he couldn't help me with any money, he could tell me the best trains to hop on for a free ride. If only I could get to Amarillo, Texas. There was a cattle train with a straight shot to Kansas City, my final destination. Okay, so my interaction with Simple didn't really result in any real help, but it was only the first conversation I had in my pilgrimage. I had broken the ice. Over the course of the following three weeks, I did end up having some great spiritual conversations with strangers who did help me out. I had a three-hour conversation in a Subway restaurant in Tucson, Arizona, with a man about my age. 
he was discerning the religious life and was curious to hear about my journey. In Houston, Texas, I ate at McDonald's with a migrant worker from Guatemala. He shared with me how he and his fellow workers run a house church when they're not in the fields. Through these conversations, I learned that actual poverty opens us up for opportunities for new relationships. This lesson is hard to keep in mind on a day-to-day -day basis, but I'm a little more conscious to seek out opportunities from time to time to take on some inconvenience just for its own sake. My last Greyhound ride introduced me to a military veteran, a born-again Christian who had recovered from a serious addiction. He introduced himself as Big Country. We had this wonderful conversation about Jesus that just increased my faith. I did leave it thinking, maybe I should take on a nickname next time. Everybody seems to be doing it. So maybe Panther or Kevlar. I'm still working on it. But you see what happens when you follow the path of poverty. Because I had to rely on others, I was forced to step outside my own comfort zone and enter into relationships that I wouldn't have otherwise. It wasn't pleasant at first, but it led me to new experiences of Jesus. For your prayer, you can also reflect on this dynamic of poverty, contempt, and humility. Can you see how these might lead you to service in the kingdom of God? Are there any adjustments or changes you might want to make in your life to pursue this path of poverty and humility? For scripture, I recommend praying with the instructions Jesus gives his disciples about what to bring on their journey in Mark chapter 6. Another great passage to pray with is Jesus' assurance of care for his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. Ask Jesus to give you new insight into his ways and savor what comes to you. Jesus says, I am the true vine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.